welcome to a homegrown family podcast where we grow the produce and the kids. Welcome to this episode. I am Joe Mettler, your podcast host, and uh, today we have my younger brother David joining us. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, um, there's a total of seven siblings, and I'm number two, and David is the one to be lucky enough to be born after me. Welcome, David, and welcome aboard to this episode. Happy to be here. Great. So we just want to talk a little bit more and kind of continue on about the different things we did when we grew up and things. And one of the things that we did do and help with a lot with was uh, our mother's garden, probably a half acre garden. And we grew everything under the sun. I'd say our farm in general, and I probably said this previously, was pretty much self-sustaining, you know. Um, between dad's milk cows and the chickens and the pigs and the beef and the garden, we were pretty much able to get all that we needed apart from maybe some of our fruits. So we had a lot of different things that we grew in there, the squashes, you know, carrots, everything. And when I always think about the garden, one of the things I kind of think about is the Colorado potato beetle, the, the potato bug. So mom would always say, hey, go out there and pick the potato bugs. And it started off with, I think, you know, you get an old soup can or your baked beans can and we'd go out there and we'd be out there picking all these beetles off, putting them in these cans. And I think one of the first times we went out there to go pick bugs, we came back with this can full of bugs. I'm like, Mom, what do we do with these things now? He's like, oh, I don't know. Just throw them on the cement pad over there and squish them with rocks. And I don't even think we got paid for it. Um, <laughs> no, no, we didn't get paid for it. <laughs> you know, I think there, I think there was one time for mom, like I, we really just didn't want to do it or they were so bad that that mom was like, hey, I'll give you a dollar for every hundred you get. I, I don't remember that, but it was definitely possible. I think I remember one time maybe getting bribed. Uh, the yeah. worst part about picking potato beetles is actually finding the uh, eggs. Oh, yeah. And then you had to squish them right with your fingers because you didn't want them to hatch because then you just have more of them. But I learned after a while that you should just pull the whole leaf off. You don't have to squish them and get your fingers all nasty. So just throw the whole leaf in your bucket. Dang. I don't think I ever threw the whole leaf in my bucket. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty pretty sure I squished them every time. (laughs) Well, some of us learn. Well, yeah. Well, the darn thing was, was that uh, when you're picking these beetles, you have the little squishy juvenile bugs. And then you got the actual beetles. And so I was like, you usually didn't see too many adult beetles. But if you did, it was like the jackpot. And those were all on top of the leaves, and the eggs were always on the underside of the leaves. So you couldn't just easily pick them off and get rid of them. You had to flip the leaf over and on every plant and try to find the eggs, you know. And the adults, as soon as you would uh, disturb them at all, they would fall to the ground. So if you didn't get them on the oh, first yeah. nap, they were down in, inside the canopy on the ground. So. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. Wow. And another, another thing, I guess, was just all the hand weeding. You know, mom would mow lawn and we'd bag up the the lawn trimmings and put them on in between the rows and in between the plants, um, kind of as a mulch. Also works pretty good as a nitrogen source. Um, and you kind of cultivate that in the next year. But uh, we spend a lot of hours out there hand weeding. And I remember one day, and I don't know how I got this idea. I think it kind of stemmed maybe from 4-H and um, entering in the vegetable garden exhibit. I approached mom and I was like, hey, mom, I want my own garden. So then we pursued to find a spot, and uh, I think I found a little, I don't know, it was kind of just a nice, convenient little spot. It wasn't too big, you know, 20 feet by maybe 25, 
not too far from the house, you know, not too far from water and other things. And started off as a strawberry patch. And I don't know if you remember, Dave, but that first time I got strawberries off that patch, they were like half the size of my fist. They were huge. And then the following years, I never ever got another strawberry the same size. Well, I think that uh, spot that you put your garden uh, used to have a pig pen there or something. So maybe you had some manure history there. <laughs> it's possible, but I know I know there was a, it's, it's kind of close to this uh, cement pad where there used to be an old building. So I think there was a little bit of gravelness to start uh, and some rocks and things there. But I remember putting um, those uh, what are those big concrete blocks or bricks? Cinder um, blocks. Cinder blocks. Yeah, cinder blocks. I put those on the backside, and Dad went and got a load of dirt from, uh, I think, when he dig, dug the water hole in the, in the one pasture there. We had a bunch of leftover black dirt, so Dad put that in there, and then I leveled it out, and that was kind of my garden spot. So I had a good, I don't know, six inches of topsoil, followed by a little bit of more of a loamy sand, you know, well-drained kind of thing. But uh, I wasn't the only one that had my own garden growing up. I think David followed suit, probably jealous or something. Yeah, I wanted to grow giant pumpkins. That was uh, the main reason you wanted your own garden? That's, that's why I wanted a garden. That was my big thing was I uh, wanted to grow giant pumpkins, and that's what I started off with. And so for my spot, I, I was also kind of close to the house there, and it was actually a spot where there was like an old, uh, uh, I didn't call it, not a trash pile, as much of discarded wood and things and uh there used to be some stuff that was burned there because i would be digging through nails and you have glass and different things coming up and um i was always interested in looking at the uh, spring catalogs i'd always find something new to order i put in uh what i put i put in some rhubarb plants there some purple asparagus uh some tart cherries uh nanking cherries nanking cherries not tart cherries uh so i always like trying new things I know the one part after a while, and I don't remember if it was there right away, but Dad eventually put in, remodeled the kitchen and put in a wood burner and fed hot water to the house and the floor. And uh, that piping from the wood burner to get to the house went right through the underneath David's garden. And I don't know if it was there right away or if it was an afterthought kind of thing. But his garden was always warming up early <laughs> in the, in the, yeah, in the springtime. Yeah, uh, I installed that after the garden was there, but probably not too long after. But yeah, my garden was always the first one to warm up in the spring. Yeah, no, that was that was good. Definitely a perk. Um, so we talked a little bit about what we did as kids and what maybe helped us in our selection of our garden spots. Um, and mom and dad probably had a big role in that because we probably didn't have much of a clue back then. But um, so that's kind of where I wanted to kind of give some information on site selection for gardens. I think we're going to focus primarily on um, ground gardens here in this discussion and uh, maybe allude to some differences when it comes to raised garden beds. So I think there's a couple different factors that play a role in terms of site selection of where you want your garden. And uh, I might kind of walk through this a little bit. Yeah, because one year, my brother Michael, not too long, many years ago, bought a house. And was like, hey, I want a garden. I'm not sure where I put it. What do you think? And so I might kind of allude to some of his situation as we kind of go through this. But I think one of the first things uh, David kind of pointed out as we're making our list, kind of prepping for this podcast, totally forgot about it. But probably one of the most important things is um, utilities. You know, can you even put a garden there without worrying about running into a water pipe or having electrical wires underneath your garden? Because if you put any type of posts 
or fencing around your garden to keep out animals. And if you use cultivation equipment, you know, if you use a tiller or anything like that, you kind of got to make sure that you have none of that stuff there that you might hit or run into. And something that people might not think about is, you know, if, if you did something yourself, like a invisible dog fence, right, that's not going to show up necessarily on, on other flagging. So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. And well, David mentioned flagging. So it's, you know, it's a, usually a free service. You can call 811 um, and get, you know, a flagger out there free of charge, usually to go out there and paint lines and figure out where these where these wires are on your property. You know, it's probably a good idea to go out there and figure out where that stuff is just for your own knowledge, even if you're not putting up a garden, just kind of your own knowledge there for your property. Yeah, any state, every state has kind of their own website for it too, I believe, but 811 is pretty common for at least North Dakota and Minnesota to be able to call and figure out where those utility lines are. Yeah, so that's the uh, important thing, first of all. Um, and, you know, actually, when we were talking about our gardens, Joe, and we mentioned maybe a few things to keep in mind that underwater pipe going from the house to the woods tote would be another one to keep in mind, right? That went through the garden afterwards, uh, but you definitely wouldn't want to put a post through that. And we knew where that was, you know, and dad put it down like three feet deep. You know, your cultivation equipment's only going to go, you know, six inches or if you're really hitting it hard, maybe a little deeper than that. But um, so we kind of knew that that was there. Dad really liked the idea of warming up the garden soil too. (laughs) And something else with my garden that I didn't mention earlier was that I actually had a really big box elder tree uh, right in the corner of my garden. And, you know, that's not ideal by any means because it, for one, sucks up moisture from a lot of the area there, but also shades your plants. Now, for me, it was in the uh, northeast corner, so it didn't provide that much shading. I still got a lot of sunlight. But that's another uh, top priority for garden selection is do you have at least eight hours of direct sunlight on that garden? Uh, that That's important to be able to have a successful garden, at least a vegetable garden. You could do other gardens like a shade garden with uh, flowers or something with less sunlight. That's true. Yeah, I guess for me, I was kind of thinking mostly mostly for vegetables and things. So, yeah, it, usually it's best if you can get some kind of good southern sun. Um, exposure, for example, um, in my brother's situation, Michael, he had um, a piece of property there. It wasn't. It's kind of a little bit rolly, kind of on a sand top, but on top of the hill, um, it also was a little bit more loamy and could hold some moisture. But otherwise, it kind of rolled slowly down into a to a swamp, basically a little pond. And the person that had the garden prior to them kind of put it on the slope, you know, um, but they didn't want it there because they wanted a nice big yard for the kids to play on the slope there and. And so they asked for other places to put this garden. And one of the places they wanted to consider was just to the north of the house. And so if you're if you're to the north of the house, you're losing all of your southern sun exposure. And, uh, you know, so, so as far as like snow melting, um, you know, here in the Midwest, we definitely have to worry about being able to get into our gardens at a timely fashion. Because if you're blocking the southern sun, which is primarily what you get in the winter, your, your snow is going to be slow to melt. You're just going to is getting a slow start in the spring. Um, so I guess also in considering that, you know, what else are you around to? David mentioned the, the tree situation, which does look up moisture, but if you wanted to, as you kind of mentioned, certain crops may do better or certain vegetables might do better with not as much sunlight. So having a little bit of variability, I mean, if you have one small garden, you don't want the whole thing to get covered by the tree. But if on the other half of it, you know, it was eight hours of sun, but on the, other, on the, on the half nearest the tree, it was only like six hours. You could probably do a little bit of different things. 
um, such as the brassica species, you know, your broccoli and your cauliflower and, and some of those species, we might do a little bit better and not have a, as hot of an environment. Yeah, especially things like your lettuce, right? I mean, that get really drought, heat stressed and start turning bitter on you. It'd be nice to have some shade for those crops. Yep, they start bolting right away on you. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of my situation here where I'm living now. I have some raised garden beds, and uh, one side is against the garage. Anytime after noon, it basically doesn't get any sun, and that's that's where I always put my my lettuce and the brassicas, and kind of rotate it around a little bit because you don't want to grow the same vegetable in the same spot year after year after year due to disease and and different insect pressures. Yeah, so another main thing to consider uh, is access to water. And Joe mentioned that earlier. Our our gardens as kids were not very far from the house or from the barn, uh, which would have access to water. Uh, that's the same thing, you know, in my home uh, now, too, is I have a outdoor water spigot not that far away from my garden. Uh, in my garden is a south exposure, and there are some trees that provide a little bit of shade, but it overall has good access to sunlight. Uh, it also has um, nice airflow. It's not right up against a building. Uh, that's something else to take into consideration for garden placement is you don't want to necessarily be in a protected area that doesn't get any airflow because some of your plants uh, are susceptible to diseases like uh, powdery mildew uh, or other leaf blights uh, that proliferate really when you have a lot of moisture, right? When that dew sits on the leaf longer uh, in the mornings than it would in an area that had better airflow. Yeah, I think we're, we're what, 50 feet from the faucet off the house for you and then less, probably almost less than that for me to the water spigot outside, you know, so um, those are probably almost your most two common places you're going to get water, right? Yeah, so that's, that's another big factor, right, is ease of access. Um, ease of access for water, ease of access for you, but also just considering that you want it to be front and center in your day-to-day activities. Do you park in the garage and then go from the garage to the house and you kind of walk by your garden? You know, so you see what's going on, kind of check in to see, oh, that's starting to ripen, or oh, it looks like I have some disease or a pest problem. So you take care of it right away. You know, if you have your garden way out back and you don't walk by it on a daily basis, some things can get out of hand very quickly, like a disease or insect that you could have really, you know, nipped in the bud earlier. Yeah, that's a good point, David. Another thing that you might want to consider, too, is and you may not have a lot of options when it comes to your property, but you can look at the different soil types that you might be having on your property. Probably proximity to the house is probably going to be key, but there could be a little bit of differences. You know, one might have a slight slope and allow a little bit more water drain drainage. But in general, you know, a nice, you know, loam is probably ideal because it drains, but yet has some clay, has some sand, has some silt in it that will allow it to hold nutrients. You don't want to find yourself in a sandbox. You know, if you, <laughs> you have a situation, I know we had a sandbox growing up at the farm there and eventually dad took down a tree that was in the middle of the sandbox and the sand kind of just stayed there and grass kind of crept in, but it took forever for that grass to come in due to the lack of moisture or whatever it was um, for grass to finally start growing there. But um, So you don't want to plant in a really, really sandy spot if you can help it. could always dig some out and add some soil in from someplace to help amend it if that's all you're working with. But so soil type's big. And this is kind of where we can talk a little bit more about perhaps raised beds here briefly and uh, what kind of soil types are ideal for a raised garden bed? What are your options, perhaps? You know, talked about that loam. Maybe slightly more clay would be okay. 
I know when I made my raised bed here, uh, I was able to get some compost from the city. And uh, sometimes you got to be careful with the compost that you're able to get just because you can end up with some herbicide carryover problems, um, which I think did happen to me. I came out here on uh, the news not too long ago that clopyrrolid caused injury to my tomatoes, for example. I had one spot in my garden where my tomatoes and peppers just didn't do good for like a year and a half. Had to have been the situation because they're two feet later, they're just fine. So got to watch out for that source there. The good thing about compost, though, is it's usually super rich in nutrients. It usually does drain really well, has lots of organic matter. I guess organic matter is kind of more of your, I don't know, how would you describe organic matter, David? <laughs> well, it's it's basically the non-mineral portion of the soil, right? So you're looking at, you know, maybe uh, leaf material, plant material, but also a lot of the smaller things like the humus. Um, basically, it's any of the non-mineral particles of the soil. Yeah, I'd say it's where the chunk of microbes live. It's where it's all everything's getting biodegraded. In a sense, you could almost say that the the health of the soil is kind of reflective on how much organic matter is in there to some extent. You can you can't have too much, but um, that really does show kind of a level of health, I think. But uh, so there's a lot of organic matter in compost, um, but there's also a lot of nutrients which can be good or bad. Also, because I tested my soil in my garden bed after I put it in there, or my soil, I, I kind of mixed some compost with some soil that I had bought from, say, one of your big box stores. You know, they say, garden soil, come buy it, you know. And so I mixed it in because I knew it could be high in nutrients sometimes. And I got my soil test back, and it was like 400 pounds per acre of nitrogen. And my goodness, that's enough to grow, you know, corn on corn on corn for five years. and not run out of nitrogen. That's like in a commercial field setting for Pete's sake. Like, Maybe two years. <laughs> well, if you're if you're in southern Minnesota, <laughs> us over here a little bit more north of you don't get the bushels per acre. <laughs> but <laughs> so you always gotta watch out what you're what you're getting and what you're what you're looking at. But um Yeah, and that and that doesn't sound like a problem necessarily, but when you think of uh like a common example would be tomato, right? You can get blossom end rot on tomato if you have too high of nitrogen in your soil, uh, not because of a nitrogen deficiency, but excess nitrogen causing a calcium deficiency. So Joe was getting hit with the clopyrrolid problem and then uh, <laughs> blossom end rot, I believe, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You had to bring that up because, what was it, last year, the year before, we had a big tomato contest. We'd gotten some of these seeds, and uh, I think they are called, you remember what the tomatoes called? It was like a... A steak tomato or it was anyways, it was described as being as big as a steak. And I'm thinking, oh man, steaks at the farm are like, you know, huge. And then you go buy a ribeye or something that's four ounces and it's the size of your fish <laughs> and you're like, Wow, I'm gonna be really disappointed in these tomatoes. <laughs> but uh needless to say, David won the contest that year. Yeah, so I think I almost <laughs> had a two pound tomato, if I remember correctly. So with that tomato contest, you know, we have uh, there's seven siblings, right? Most of us garden, those that are able to with their living situations. And uh, not surprisingly, the two of us that live in southern Minnesota had the best tomatoes. Uh, myself and my sister, Liz, probably do more to the environment and our really nice soils and organic matter than to any sort of experience or expertise. Yeah. OK, to be fair, David started all these tomatoes up in his basement. And I'm pretty sure I got shafted. 
<laughs> I, I gave everyone equally nice tomato plants. To we both we both were given two, so that way if one died or croaked, I think my one died in the first two months. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> so back to site selection. So we had talked about utilities. You know where your piping, where your wiring is at. We talked about sun exposure. You know want to make sure you get good sun and airflow. We talked about your water source and you know proximity to where you're going to be. Talked about your soil types and drainage and um, slopes and things. And um, so there's all different things to consider. Um, I don't know, Dave, did we miss out any on anything at all? No, I don't think so. You know, one thing to think about, too, is, you know, what what are you going to be planting in your garden, right? How, how big of a garden do you need to have? And are you selecting an area that's going to allow you to expand later, potentially, right? You don't necessarily want to start a garden in this tiny little area that doesn't give you anywhere to expand to potentially later. Um, not that you can't have more than one garden site, but it's, it is easier to manage one. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, keep in mind the come cost, you know, starting a ground garden is not a big deal. And that doesn't really go into site selection, but it does if, if you have to make fence, you know, if you got a lot of white-tailed deer pressure, you know, that we do in some of these areas in some of these states. You know, if you're in Alaska, you, know, you got moose up there that crawl over fences, you got to make eight-foot fences. So you never know. But, uh, yeah, again, if, uh, if you have any questions on what we talked about, we can definitely get into more detail on some of these soil characteristics. Probably will, to be honest, at some point. But uh, it's always a good idea to get a soil test, too, to know what you're dealing with and what kind of uh, nutrients you might be short on. And we'll have a whole episode on, on uh, soil and soil nutrients and soil tests coming up here before too long. Well, taking a soil sample and, and that is, um, you know, cost prohibitive or, you know, you don't have a soil probe or anything like that. You know, just taking a, digging a little hole in in the area that you're thinking about growing and just seeing what that soil looks like you know that topsoil you can you can just dig a hole and see how deep it is right is it is my topsoil six inches deep or is it only two inches deep and then it turns into gravel or sand i'd uh, just be a cheap way of looking at what your what does the soil look like under there yeah and throughout the invitation here too if you take a little shovel spade you know dig a hole and then you kind of go through and taking our little slice out of it and keeping it kind of intact take a picture of it send it to me my email at homegrownfam at gmail.com. I'd be I'd be happy to comment on it or if you have a situation, if you have a if you're thinking about this spot or this spot, but this is a con and this is a con, which one's worse? You know, or any type of questions you have, shoot me an email. I'd love to hear it and bring David back and do maybe a question and answer session or something. Um, that could be fun. So yeah, I think that's what we got for you today. Uh, thank you, David, for joining us today and uh, till next time. Thank you.